Hello, I'm Dylan. I'm Keon. And this is Zenith Fed Podcast, where we dual wheel shotguns, because this week we watched Bounty. My Terry Nation. Directed by Pennant Roberts. And aired on March 13th, 1978. Yeah, we're coming close to the end of Series A of Blake 7. Yep. It's means uh, we're been a strong season. Nearly a quarter of the way through already. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> a little disconcerting to think about. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's going by quickly. Um, mainly because I'm really enjoying it, and uh, you know I'll be sad to see it go. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so the story begins with Callie. Yeah, the first shot of the story is is Callie, which is good because the past two weeks Callie's done absolutely nothing. But yeah, so I guess I'll just say right now, as I normally do, that uh, this is probably my least favorite episode so far. Wow. And I, yeah, well, I didn't dislike the episode. I just thought everything else was better. So Callie in this actually does a lot uh, in terms of, you know, what action she takes, but, you know, doesn't really, doesn't really contribute as much. I mean, she kind of just, she's just Blake's sidekick for a lot of this. I guess, but they do. I felt Villa, Avon, Jenna, basically everyone else, even Zen in this was more interesting than Callie. Even though Callie probably does more than, you know, several other characters and has a little more screen time than probably a couple other characters. I mean, not only does Callie use, do more, they actually use her one feature that she has that nobody else on the ship has, which is her telepathy. <laughs> yeah, but they just use it for, like, menial tasks like evading guards and I That's guess it comes into play. Menial. Well, I guess it comes into play, but I like what they did with Villa, Avon, Jenna, and even Gan, and even Zen, and even Blake a lot more than Callie. <laughs> In this, at least. I don't know. I feel like Callie's first use of telepathy makes a lot of sense because she's hiding in the bushes and there's guards walking by and Blake is about to yell to Callie and then Callie telepathically tells him, hey, don't say anything. There's like guards like right there. Yeah. And he's like, oh. <laughs> so he doesn't. He Instead, he walks over to Callie. And then she yeah. says something like, my reflexes must be getting slow. They were almost on top of me by the time I even noticed they were on top of me. Yeah. She says she's going to need to practice her stealth, I guess. And she also says she'll need to practice her telepathy, which... It's interesting because I didn't know before now that, you know, it was something she had to practice or, like, that it wasn't just some ability she had. Yeah, I thought it was... like, a skill. Yeah, I thought it was, like, implied to be just some innate ability that her species, I guess, just has. I I mean, I think it's... I think it's her species has it, but, like, it's also something, a skill you have to practice, I guess. Yeah, that's true. I mean, humans have arms, but if you don't use your arms, then they're pretty weak, I guess. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> Poorly constructed metaphor, but I think it makes sense. Anyway, Callie is wearing uh, <laughs> like a leopard skin, <laughs> like yeah, thing. So this is my award for this episode. Uh, goes to Callie's jacket for best use of an endangered species. <laughs> best use of an yeah. endangered species. Yeah, you know they're endangered there, <laughs> or even uh you know, in a critical state at this point. So, you know, no use bringing them back. Might as well just use them for their resources and not even try. Can't even tell if you're talking in the context of Blake 7, like where would they even get leopard skin if you're talking about in real life? Why did they make a leopard skin coat as a prop for this TV show? Well, I mean, show? I'm sure it was fake, but... Well, actually, I'm not sure. I'm just <laughs> guessing. just trying to but... self-justify. <laughs> Maybe it was cheetah. You know, I don't know. Cheetahs look kind of similar to to leopards, although cheetahs sort of have, you know, the, the their spots are sort of outlines and, and hollow, whereas leopards, I think, have, you know, solid black spots. 
I think. Anyway, they they uh, Blake Blake and Callie are hiding, and a car drives by, and it looks like it was made in like the 30s. Yeah. And I was like, what? What is this? Are they introducing time travel? Well, I thought maybe it was going to be a planet that was just like really technologically undeveloped compared to the rest of the Federation. But no, it's actually just a, a 20th century Earthophile. Yeah. Just a guy. <laughs> Pretty lame. <laughs> and they mention how the, the Blade, one of them says like, was that the guy in the back of the car? And the other, the other one was like, yeah, it was definitely President, President Sarkov. He, you know, the There's style a of car agent sitting with them. Yeah, the style of car, and also the fact that Sarkov is wearing all black and is sitting in the back of the car, and the fact that the car looks a lot like a Mercedes really gave me a lot of Nazi vibes uh, from just this shot. I mean, twenty minutes from now, you're like Sarkov is just a completely ineffectual leader who doesn't <laughs> know anything about anything. Well, there is the weird. Like I mentioned last week, Bounty, this episode is one of the most controversial Blake 7 episodes because of the weird racial dynamic later on. But we'll get there because that's definitely part of the second half of the episode, the much better part of the episode. Well, so Blake and and Callie... Well, some guards actually, because Blake Blake and Callie go off and the guards have uh, set up, I guess... Uh, security checkpoint? No, no, they're like speakers or microphones. Oh. And Blake and Callie, you know, walk by one. And uh, one of the guards contacts, like, the head guard and is like, I heard something. Something yeah. like that. And the guard's like, are you sure? Because last time it was just rodents or something along those lines. But the guy's like, no, no, definitely have intruders. Blake is carrying this, like, red cooler box yeah the, the cool the, this is my award for the story it also occurs in the first like 10 minutes of the story but this this is my award for easiest blake seven prop to buy yourself at home they've used this cooler like three times already they definitely used it in uh seek locate destroy except uh, in this story it has absolutely no defined purpose whatsoever there is absolutely no reason why it should be there there they're, they're, they uh, have the um grappling hook thing that's where they keep that they could have just carried that on their back. Yeah. There's absolutely yeah. no reason why they had to bring this cooler box at all. Maybe it was just to separate Blake and Callie later because Blake's like, all right, go hide the cooler. And that's when they <laughs> get separated. <laughs> Which is basically right now because Blake takes the grappling hook thing out of the, the box and you know he tries to make his way over the castle walls. They, they follow the car to sort of a, a castle-like structure. It's definitely uh, a, actually a castle. Yeah, just a convenient place for them to shoot, I guess, you know. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of Androids of Tara from Doctor Who. But, yeah, there's just this castle. There's all this weird, ancient, outdated the, technology, and you're really left wondering what the hell is really going on here. Where's the Taran wood beast? No, I no, was really no. left wondering where the hell is Avon and the Liberator and anything that would make this part of the story a little more interesting right now. <laughs> Thankfully, my prayers were answered because we cut to the Liberator because they just heard a distress yeah, signal. In a scene that has nothing to do with what's going on on the planet, uh, Avon, basically everyone else is like, so what's uh, what's this ship? And Jenna, I think, is like, it's, it's unidentified, uh, but they're sending out a distress signal. Yeah. So uh, we got to contact Blake. And this is actually a little bit later, but I want to mention it now because it's hilarious. Actually, it's not hilarious. It's just slightly funny. 
Uh, so they contact Blake and they tell him it's an unidentified ship. And he's like, his first question is Federation. And, uh, you know, Jenna doesn't, Jenna just responds like, no, we don't have the reading yet. But I was like, really? She just said it was unidentified. <laughs> and Jenna should have just responded with, no, Blake, unidentified. <laughs> Blake seems a little out of it for this whole story, if I'm going to be frank. This, I, I had a good quote from this from Blake, which is, again, a little later, but uh, makes sense to just drop it now, <laughs> which is, uh, actually, it, it does happen right now. He goes, all right, don't take any unnecessary risks. And I was like, really? Blake, of all people, is telling them not to take any unnecessary risks? But uh, yeah, whatever. Villa is like, all right, I don't like the looks of this, but Gan, <laughs> for some reason... Volunt- okay, so I thought his, his it was going to be that his limiter was malfunctioning again, and he had some sort of affiliation with whoever is on this ship, but no, that's actually not the case. He just volunteers to go check out the ship. Yeah, because Villa's like, hey, it might be a trap. Like, you know, do we really think this is a good idea? And Gan's like, I'll just go over there, and if it's a trap, then, well, I guess I die. <laughs> Or you can bring me back, I guess. <laughs> and Avon's like, you don't really expect us to believe that you're willingly going to your potential death. And Gan's like, no, no, I do expect you to believe that. <laughs> so he goes. <laughs> Avon and Jenna just man the transporter pad and they get a message from Gan. It's like, hey, everything's good. Bring me back. And Villa's like, okay, Villa, okay. This for me was another questionable thing that happens in the story because Villa decides to... Okay, so so... Let me let me try explain this from the beginning. Gan, they get this message from Gan that sounds really suspicious. Like, like hey guys, it's perfectly okay it's Oleg now. Gan. It's Your Oleg Gan. <laughs> I am not a robot or a speech synthesizer. Please bring me back to the Liberator. And then so Villa's like, okay, cool, and he stands up and starts leaving the bridge for some reason. And then Zen is like, hey, that wasn't Gan. And then Villa's like, oh shoot, and he runs back to the. He runs back to his chair that he had no reason to leave in the first place. To, and then contacts Avon. It's like, Avon, that wasn't Gan. Avon, Avon, yeah, pick I, up. I think he's just going to to see what's up, you know, with Gan. Because I think Gan was, or, you know, I think this voice that was supposedly Gan was like, hey, I'm bringing over the people from this ship. So I think he was going to see them. And then when he found out that it wasn't actually Gan, he's like, oh, shoot, you got to contact Avon and Jenna. But it's too late. They, they bring up whoever this is. We don't find out until uh, well later. Um, uh, who who plays Villa? He did a really funny Michael job of Keaton. <laughs> making Villa seem really happy to go see Gan. It's like walking with a really happy jaunt in the step until Zen's like data received, and, and then he's like, "Oh wait, what?" There's there's a scene, and we're explaining this way out of order, but you know, oh well. There's a scene where, well, first of all, Zen is really mysterious in this. He doesn't cooperate with them at all. I don't know if you noticed this, but Zen does not cooperate with anyone. Yeah. In this. Well, because uh, Villa's like, so what do you mean it wasn't Gan? You know, what's happened on the transporter pad? And Zen's like, I've got no idea, Villa. Why did you go on a personal mission oh, he, and he, find he out? Doesn't, he, yeah, he doesn't even say I have no idea. He just tells Villa that he's going to need to go. If he, He's like, hey, Villa, uh, you know, uh, he, he says it in a more computerized way, obviously. But he's like, hey, Villa, you know, if you want to go find out so badly, go over and find out yourself. He says, go on a, he says go on a personal mission and Villa's like, oh, next time you tell me to go on a personal mission and Avon wants to go on a personal mission to disassemble you, I'm going to hand him the tools personally. 
And then he leaves. I never realized that the gun rack was on the bridge, apparently. Yeah, yeah, it is. I always thought it was, like, in another room somewhere. <laughs> no, that was because in, uh, in Spacefall, like, the first time they go on the Liberator, uh, that's one of the first things they their attention is drawn to, the gun rack. Yeah, I always thought it was, like, in the airlock or something that they walked through. That's why it was, they think saw it immediately the airlock you have to go in the airlock to get a to get a liberator gun <laughs> but yeah this so it's not gan we don't find out who it is until you know 20 minutes later that's basically all we hear about this plot line now because we cut back to blake yeah this like most episodes so far there's sort of two distinct plot lines mm-hmm. except in this they I, I don't feel like they integrated them as well as they have in the past this one has definitely felt like m- more felt like two separate yeah. plot lines. Yep. And that's because I think they were yeah. two separate plot lines. I think Sarkov just, he didn't luck into it, but kind well, of got thrust into the ship he, that was saving him being kidnapped. Well, I mean, it's also really obvious considering Sarkov and Tice basically do nothing in the second half once they get onto the Liberator. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Blake confronts Sarkov in his collection room, I guess, which is full of artifacts from 20th century earth he has a a casing of butterflies he has a record player Mm -hmm. and a bunch of other things butterflies he's a lepidopterist and blake is like what the hell dude what the hell and psychoff's like i just like antiques and blake's like seriously man get a life (laughs) uh he asks sarkoff why he's not surprised to see him and sarkoff is like i'm a politician uh, a majorly successful one, you know, before I was exiled. I was always prepared to uh, have assassins show up at my doorstep. Blake's like, wait, 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 wait a minute, I'm not an assassin. Sarkov's like, I'm not going to listen to you try to justify you killing me, just do it. Yeah. I'm okay Sark- with dying. Sarkov also shows Blake his uh, revolver. Which is unloaded. Yeah, he he pretends to shoot Blake, but yeah, it's, it's not loaded, so. Yeah, at that point, if I was Blake, I'd be like, you know what, you know what, this this isn't worth it. Screw it. Liberator, beam me up. Let's, let's no, 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 abort mission. We still don't really know why Blake is there. We don't even really know what, who Sarkov is. Well, uh, we do. Because I mean, right now, his, right? We don't know his backstory. This, this is all explained, like, right now, basically. Yeah. Tice comes in, Tice being his bodyguard, yeah, Sarkov. Blake tells Sarkov he's not there to assassinate him, but to take him back to his planet. Mm-hmm. And that's when Tice pulls the gun z on Blake. She dual wields. Yeah, and Sarkov's like, those ones actually work. And Blake's like, can you not, please? And they're like, okay, I guess. Yeah, Sarkov orders Tice, uh, or, or I guess just tells her, when you, once you find out who Tice is, not to uh, shoot Blake, but she really wants to. Then Callie comes in and she's like, oh, you're from that planet. That we're trying to take you Lindor. back to. Yeah, Lindor. Lindor. <laughs> not the to be confused. The of Lindor. I was going to say, not <laughs> to be confused with the chocolate Lind. company. Lind. Lind. <laughs> yes. And, and then, then, then we get Sarkov's backstory. Yeah, we get Sarkov's backstory because Callie mentions that her people had sent a... Lehan, a representative to Lind, Lind, Lindor. My bad. I just said not to be confused with the chocolate. Yeah, well, I actually thought of that too when I was watching the episode. I was like, hmm, Lind. 
so yeah, so they had sent a representative to Lindor because they were both neutral planets that didn't want to join the Federation, so they're going to form like a treaty. But then Sykoff explains what happened because the, the representative never made it back to Callie's home planet, which I'm completely forgetting the name of. Yeah. It began with an A as well. And he basically says that, oh yeah, you know, I wanted to, we had a vote of confidence, uh, but I ended up losing the, and I got a vote of no confidence yeah. and then I got kicked out and then basically everything's gone to hell. And then Blake says that because he got kicked out, basically, first off, the Federation rigged the election. Yeah. And secondly, there's a civil war breaking out on the planet and the Federation plans to use the civil war to basically instill Sarkov as a puppet ruler. And so the Federation will basically rule the planet through Sarkov and Blake wants to take Sarkov back to Lindor before the Federation can do that and basically instill Sarkov back as president because apparently Sarkov, this completely ineffectual apparently leader, is the only one on the planet who can reunite the two sides of Lindor well, okay, and stop so, the civil war. Well, what I what I got out of this was that Sarkov was actually a well-liked guy and you know a successful politician, but then the Federation intervened. Well, according to Blake, at least the Federation intervened, rigged the vote, basically screwed him over, screwed over his entire political career, had him exiled so they could institute this plan to incite a war or violence or whatever, and then mm-hmm. basically take over the planet. Yeah. So you know, I I guess it's up for debate. You know, you don't really know whether Sarkov was actually just a majorly terrible politician or if it was this if it was all the federation but well blake definitely says that the federation rigged the vote of no confidence so but can we trust blake we can trust him more than everyone else on this show i don't know about that i'm pretty certain about that i mean that doesn't mean you can trust him fully members i would trust over blake and jenna as this story points out isn't one of them what? Well, okay, I feel she's... like this story would be a case for why you would trust well, Jenna. you know, I wasn't fully on board with, uh, you know, Jenna after this. You know, she's a... I'm more on board with yeah. Jenna. She has a lot of dedication to these yeah. people. Yeah, she does. But, like, who knows if that's just all front, too. I mean, who I knows? guess. Who knows? You're just rather overly cynical, I think, <clears throat> of Jenna. And Blake. Be honest. And, and all of them. <laughs> Villa's I trust, the... <laughs> I tr- no, I, I trust Villa the most. That's what I was about to say. Villa's okay. the one who <laughs> gives you the least reason not to trust him. <laughs> He's all, he also seems to be the most sensible. You know, in this, he was the one who's like, really, guys, we're going to contact the... Uh... Actually, that's not fair. All of them kind of are skeptical of Gans. <laughs> gung-ho attitude but you know there are other instances like when they were about to go into the uh the gravity well villa was like really guys really are we seriously doing this yeah but, but i don't know if i, tr- who, I wouldn't trust villa with my personal property because as he says back in the way back property just has a mysterious way of making its way to him yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well anyway back to the story at hand Blake keeps contacting the Liberator to get them to beam him up because, you know, the guards are going to realize they're there, but the Liberator, because it's empty, isn't beaming him up. <laughs> and then eventually uh, they get beamed up, although I don't really know how. They, okay, so they they need to escape from the castle. The guards are alerted to their presence. So first they have Callie and Tice go start the car, while Blake, I think, or... I don't forget who actually, I'm pretty sure it's Blake, goes out back, fires a a, a blaster bolt, and uses some sort of smoke bomb out yeah. back. So the guards all run to the back of the castle, and they're like, oh, shoot, it was just a diversion. So they start running 
to the front. Blake needs to convince what's his face uh, Sarkov. Sarkov to come with him because Sarkov still doesn't want to come. He just sort of uh, you know wants to stay in his castle or whatever under Federation guard. And Blake is like, all right, if you don't want to come, I'll just start destroying all your stuff. So he breaks the uh, record. The record. He's about to smash the butterfly case too, and Sarkov's like, no, no, I'll fine, I'll come. I mean, it's not like. Sarkov doesn't really have a way of transporting all this stuff to yeah. Lindor, right? Yeah, so, I mean... And it all basically belongs to the Federation now, right? Since they clearly have a presence on this planet. It's not like they're not just going to burn it when they leave. I mean, I guess he just wanted, you know, the chance to come back and get it rather than just having everything destroyed anyway. I and guess. then even, even if Blake did destroy everything, I wouldn't put it past him to just threaten Sarkov. Although I guess Sarkov wanted to die, so... I don't know, you know, I don't know. But it, Sarkov goes with him, he puts on the bracelet. They, they get in the car... Because the Liberator's not ready to beam them up yet. They start driving away in a chase sequence eerily reminiscent or foreshadowing of the chase sequence in Indiana Jones and the Lost Crusade. What? When Indy and his dad are riding along on the motorbike being chased by trucks. I guess it wasn't that similar to me. It reminded, That's what it reminded me of. reminded me actually of the scene in Children of Men, the movie version, which is completely different from the book. <laughs> of um, the, the car chase scene from there where they have to start the car and there's people shooting at them. Uh, then again, when aren't people shooting at the main characters in that movie? Good question. I don't remember. <laughs> but <laughs> I haven't the, watched that movie or read that book. So. Yeah, the, <laughs> the movie I was surprised uh, to find out is actually semi-famous, but you know the, the book has almost no action in it, yet the movie is basically just an action movie. Why not? I guess. Why not? <laughs> anyway, eventually, you know, the the, the car is about to uh, run into a well, guard. There's, post. there's actually a, a semi funny scene before that where Blake is trying to start the car. It has one of those cranks at the front mm-hmm. that you have to start, and a guard walks up and he's like, "All right, nice try, guys, but uh, everyone get out." And then he doesn't see Blake in front in the front of the car, so Blake just jumps out and like karate chops him, and they they make their getaway and. They need to get beamed up, and it's really tense because they're about to just crash into this barricade, but they get beamed up just in time. Yeah, but— and you're like, wait, who beamed them up if the yeah. liberator is empty? Yeah, my question exactly. Surprise, it was Jenna. Was it Jenna? Yeah, it was because we see Jenna, like, at the control thing to beam them up, and Tarvin, or someone's there, and he's like, yeah, good job. And we, this is when we see—this is the first instance where we see the blue collar thing. I was like, wait, what's that blue collar? No, but we— we don't see you at the control panel to after though. They beam up into the teleporter room, and then Blake sees nobody in the room. Oh yeah, and that's there's why nobody he goes in the teleporter room for someone. Yeah, and then so, we see Jenna with the blue collar thing, and yeah. Tarvin's there, and he's like, "Good job, Jenna. Guess you didn't really care for that your crew anyway." I guess the teleporter can be tro- can control from elsewhere on the ship. That's not something that's ever been introduced before. Mm. You know, I mean, we haven't seen basically most of the Liberator. Maybe haven't, Zen... We haven't seen the treasure room, even though it's mentioned in this. We still haven't seen it. <laughs> Maybe Zed beamed them up. I don't know. But yeah, so we're introduced to Tarvin and his group, who are uh, the the Angorian, Anagorian, Amagons. The Amagons. So this is not to be confused with the Amazons. Well, it's they're... another Terry Nation original here. <laughs> They're the reason why this is so controversial. You know, they're, they're um, space Arabs, I guess, but they're done in, like, a stereotypical way where they're, like, bandits. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's 100% the vibe I got from the story was that they were supposed to be some Middle sort Eastern. of Middle Eastern type troop of bandits, which is like, okay. You know, but uh, I mean, I don't know. It's, I don't know. I think it wasn't. Th- the, I mean, the thing is, it's going to sound like I'm defending this decision, and you know, maybe I am. But um, the thing is, uh, most of the people on Blake Seven, just in general, are bad people, and these these this group is no different. I mean, be that as it may, I think most of the controversy probably I haven't read up on it comes from the fact that stereotypically in TV shows and movies. People from the Middle East are portrayed as bandits and basically scumbags and the worst of the worst. And like even in this story that, yeah, I guess everybody in the Blake 7 is universe. There's like the indication that Tarvin is like worse than everybody else, especially when Sarkov. his job than Travis at least. Especially when like Sarkov is talking with him like, yeah, you'll be a prince among your men, but. Your men aren't that great, Sarkov. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing, right? Because. This is a a politician talking to, I I guess, a potential politician. He'll be a prince, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of, well, I guess the main one is Saudi Arabia, which still has, it's it's still a monarchy to this day. There's a king of Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's also that dynamic where it's like, yeah, we in the West, or eh, not the West, I I, I don't really, not agree. I don't don't like the term the West, because like, what does it mean, right? Uh, Everything or, to the west of China, really. Whereas, <laughs> like, um, but no, it really doesn't because you know, would you consider like the Middle East? Would you consider Saudi Arabia? Would you consider? Uh, I mean, I, different people consider different things the West, right? Like you immediately said everything in the west of China, but like, would most people consider the Middle East the West? I don't know, so I don't know what the West means. No, I don't think most people consider the Middle East part of the West. <laughs> I think I think actually the term the West, while it is, I agree, a really it's, it's, kind of a contrived use, it's, term. it's just a useless term, especially like today, in my I opinion. I think it basically means, you know, predominantly white countries, really. Uh, at least that's my understanding of how people typically use the term the West. Yeah, it typically then, refers like, to like European countries and then like America. Yeah, and then like also, what, yeah, that's that's true. That's I think that's what people mean when they say the West, like Europe and then like the United States and Canada. Mm-hmm. But like then also like what does white mean? But that's another story. Anyway, what I was trying to say is, like, there's a weird dynamic between, like, um, the European or, like, the Euro-descended group, the actor. Like, this is T.P. McKenna actually playing um, uh, Sarkoff, so Irish actor mm-hmm. who's been in, like, a bunch of other stuff. He played uh, he played Simon Dedalus in Portrait, uh, the movie adaptation of Portrait of the Artist as a young man, hmm. interestingly, which I don't know how you would adapt that. I haven't seen the movie. I don't know how you would adapt that to a movie. There's also a Ulysses movie. I have no idea how that's adapted into a movie because it literally just wouldn't work as a movie. It's just totally dependent on being text. But anyway, that's a complete digression. What I've been trying to say for like five <laughs> minutes is that there's a weird dynamic between the the Euro-descended guy who's like who's a politician who was elected, you know, however corrupt the uh, system was, and then mm-hmm. like the guy who's go- the uh, middle East, the Middle I guess Eastern Middle Eastern Middle Eastern esque guy who's going to be a prince, right? So, yeah, that's all I was trying to say. Took twenty years to say it, but yeah, better late than never, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's definitely. You know, when I was watching, I was like, "This is a little bit weird." I guess just kind of off. It just felt off. I think something about it the, feels off. I mean, again, it's going to sound like I'm defending this decision, and again, maybe I am, but like, 
in the end, in the end of the day, I didn't really care. I really didn't care. Like, is it racist? Like, yeah, maybe it is. Probably is actually. But like, do I really care? No, I, I really don't actually. I mean, <laughs> and I ra- mean, racists, racists, homophobes. You know, they all make art in some form. If you discounted every. Well, I guess it's like, can you separate the art from the artist? Should yes. you separate from the art, the art from the artist? You know, I guess it's the question at hand. Like, yeah, is it racist? Yeah, at least a little bit. <laughs> it's at least a little bit racist. Yeah, I don't think there's any. I don't think you can you can argue that it's not. But and then the question really boils down to, like I said, can you and can should you, you se- separate the art from the artist? Or, or and, and and also a question of like. Am I going to, if something, if I'm presented with like something that's racist, sexist, homophobic, whatever, am I going to like immediately turn it off? No, I'm absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And I guess is, you know, is the racism an integral part of the story? Is it just something that's tertiary? You know, does that affect whether or not you, you're okay with it, I guess? I don't know. You know, I really don't know. Uh, I'm just here to watch Blake 7. Yeah. Uh, here's a fun fact for you after all that. The lady who plays Tice starred in an adaptation of Crime and Punishment. I thought that was kind of a neat, huh. weird connection. Who did she, uh, <clears throat> you know who she played? I knew earlier when I had IMDb open, <laughs> but I don't have IMDb <laughs> open anymore, so no, unfortunately. Anyway, Blake gets thrown in this makeshift prison room, where, I guess. Where, where everyone else is. <clears throat> and you know, at this point, I was still thinking that Gan might have been you know, allied with the Amagons based on his weird behavior earlier, but apparently that's not the case. Yeah, apparently they're all just in this room, and then, so Villa unlocks Blake's bracelets, oh, yeah. I guess, his that's handcuffs. A, that's a little later, but uh, yeah. Well, he they, unlocks his handcuffs immediately. Oh, yeah. It's the necklace he takes a while on. Yeah. They, they have because the, they're all wearing the blue collars. Yeah. Because they have that pile of handcuffs there when Jenna comes in later. Oh. Huh. I didn't notice that. And then she, like, she, she the like kicks it. Blurry. Well, she kicks it, and then and then she says, oh, I see you're all... I see you're all following the rules, whatever. And that's kind of why Blake believes doesn't believe that Jen is fully turned over to that side yet because she yeah. would have pointed out that they had unlocked all their handcuffs if she really was on their side. Yeah. So anyway, Villa is trying to take off the collars, which have the potential to detonate if you try and force them off. And Avon's trying to open the door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot of actually kind of you know snarky or witty banter between Avon and Villa in this. So again, one of those things people point to for why Avon and Villa are best buddies. Well, there's also some between Villa and Blake, because Villa's like, why do I have to do this? And Blake's like, because I trust you. And Villa's like, but if I get it wrong and I'm behind you, then it'll blow me up too. And then Blake's like, that's why I trust you, Villa. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Jenna actually knows Tarvin, who's the leader of Mm -hmm. the uh, the Amagons, or at least this group. Yeah, I think it's just this group of Amagons. Yeah, yeah. So she's she knows him, uh, and, and I think also when Blake finds out that it's the Amagons, he's like, "Aren't the Amagons like, you know, aren't not bounty hunters? They're like smugglers, smugglers." Basically. And then I think Avon or Villas Gan like, actually says, "Oh yeah, I uh, guess Gan." <laughs> he's like, "Well, they've been known to do everything bad." <laughs> yeah, like I said earlier, you know, whether or not everyone in the Blake Sevens universe is bad is this indication that the Amagons are worse. Yeah. So, and yeah, Jenna's obviously, you know, pretending to be on board, but not fully. Yeah, and also, there's also those rapey comments Tarvin and advances Tarvin makes towards Jenna, so there's that too. Yeah, but eventually Jenna convinces Tarvin that she needs to go check up on uh, Blake and everyone else. 
Well, oh, she, yeah, she well, mentions she, the treasure room. Yeah, actually. she tells him because he's like, "I'm getting 13 million credits for turning in the ship." And, and Federation you guys ships are on the way here. And she's like, "Well, I could give you 300 million credits." And he's like, "I don't believe you." And she's like, "We have a treasure room." He's like, "I don't believe you." Go with my garden and show him. She's like, "Okay." She goes with the guard and she knocks the guard out eventually. Yeah. And uh, she gets caught by another guard and she's like, uh, uh, I was told to go uh, check, check on Blake. <laughs> yeah. and, and the guard's like, why? And she's like, well, why don't you go ask Tarvin yourself? He's like, no, I'm coming with you instead. And she's like, okay. So they go. And then this is when Jenna kind of walks through and she kicks the pile of handcuffs. And she's like, I see you all following the rules. <laughs> and then she leaves. Yeah. And then she knocks this guard out too because she walks past where the first guard was knocked out and the guard's like, oh no, what happened? And while he was distracted with the first guard, she knocks him out too. So two for one. Yeah. I mean, I don't think she killed these guys, but you know, they probably probably had to kill them. I don't just want these guards just knocked out in the Liberator Corridor. So I'm guessing they killed them later. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Awkward. (laughs) Loose end there. (laughs) So Blake... Villa gets Blake's necklace or sorry blue collar off and then he's like genius I'm a genius and now for my next trick and he goes over to open the door and Avon's like it's done and Villa's like heck yes it is and he's about to open the panel but then he just pulls on it and the whole door opens he's like oh it is done (laughs) so then there's a guard standing right there and they're like oh shoot and Blake just throws his collar at the guard and it blows up and kills him in what is quite possibly the most questionable explosion effect in this whole show so far it looks like four stars yeah (laughs) four stars superimposed on the screen (laughs) I think I actually did a double take when this happened. <laughs> anyway, I forget why or how this is the case, but Tice somehow well, so unarms t- okay. Tarvin. She has a gun in her shoe, hidden in her shoe. And she pulls it out, and he's like, that's a gun, because it's obviously a 20th century Earth gun. Yeah. Sarkov's freaking obsession with ancient relics. And Blake meets up with Jenna at the same time. And so basically... Yeah, so Tarvin disarms Tice because Tice gets distracted because Tarvin's like, Sarkov! And she looks at him and then the gun gets knocked away but then Sarkov picks up the gun. So Tice is lying on the ground and Tarvin's about to blow up Tice's head unless Sarkov puts the gun down. And then... Tice Tice is like, just do it. Do it, Sarkov. Do it. And then, I think we already know that Tice is Sarkov's daughter at this point. It was revealed well, yeah, No, it's, it's revealed like right now because Tice is like, you owe this to me, your daughter. You owe this to me and... It's supposed to be a big reveal, I guess, that just completely falls flat. It was it was all right. I mean, it was interesting, I guess. It's okay. I, I guess. So basically then what happens is Blake and Jenna come in, and that distracts Tyvon. He turns around, and then Psychop shoots him. And he yep. dies, so Tyvon yep. dies. Yep. And that's basically the end of the story, because then Blake's like, Zen, take us out of here. Yeah, there is... I forget what exactly it is again, but... Like like several previous episodes, it ends on like a really weird, oh yeah, so, awkward <laughs> line. I forget what it was though. Callie's talking with uh, Callie's talking with I think Gan or Jenna, and Blake's like, "Don't just stand there, get to work." And then that's oh, how yeah. it ends. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I remember noticing that too because I was like, "Huh?" <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Dudley, the Dudley Simpson score in this is great as it has been for the past couple of weeks. Honestly, it'd be it'd be more it'd be easier to just mention when the score is not great at yeah. this point. This is weird though because Dudley Simpson is doing basically every Doctor Who score at the at the same time as this, and it's just garbage on Doctor Who. 
and like it's just all synth stuff for Doctor Who. Here it's like it's some synth and there's some actual real instruments and it's it's Possible just better. He was just overworked, and there and he just contributed all his effort to to Blake Seven. Well, there's also, a remix, not a remix, but there's like a motif that has the Blake Seven theme in it in this that I noticed, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Which I think the first time they've done that, I think. Which, Maybe. Did Dudley Simpson do the music for Megloss? Because that was the only classic Doctor Who story that actually had the motif from like the Doctor Who theme in it. <laughs> I don't remember if he did. I don't. I honestly don't remember. Megloss was one of those weird stories in the transition period between the happy-go-lucky Douglas Adams era and the really depressing JMT uh, Sayward era. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those stories where you get a lot of death, destruction, and just dark subject matter, but you also have, like, a talking cactus. and <laughs> <laughs> A really weird juxtaposition of the two. Anyway, I think the story was good. I think, in my opinion, this story was one of the best for actually showing or at least telling us about an actual explicit event that the Federation did that was did bad. that was bad. Because all we've heard up until now is what? You know, the Federation squashed some rebel groups and yeah, they killed everyone, but... Well, we know they take over planets. And we know they take over planets, but we don't know how. You know, we don't know... Because there's been an implication before the planets just, petitioned to join the Federation. So, yeah, Blake refers to it as taking over planets, but we've never been certain. Like, does that just... Is that just Blake's skewed perception of planets opting to join the Federation by their own hand. Yeah. And this is the first story where we learn that, yeah, in some cases, the Federation just rigs the elections and instills a puppet leader of its own to take over these planets. And, yeah, like I said, we've we've heard the Federation kills people, but and also, like, Travis committed that massacre, but, you know, we always had that implication that the Federation disowned Travis's actions in that instant. So, well, I mean, they did. They imprisoned him for war crimes. So... It was, it was basically just Servaland who wanted him free. Yeah. So, yeah, in my opinion, this is like the first story that really shows us something that the Federation has done that is bad. And this just basically and explicitly tells us the events of the story. And then we basically judge them to be bad. Yeah, yeah, that part was interesting. Again, this is, I just didn't like the, uh, the, the, the first half is just boring, I'll just say. I mean, like, there's a lot of just running around the castle. None of it's very interesting. Uh, a lot of like, all right, go hide this while I, you know, use the grappling hook and go off and I don't know but the stuff between Blake and Callie and I mean there's no like interesting dialogue between them it's just them telling each other what to do it's mostly Blake just ordering Callie around well I mean Callie is definitely by far I think the character who's got the least going for I guess in terms of Blake's crew yeah Gan's which got is, the limiter, which makes him interesting. Avon is basically the second in command at this point. Jenna. Villa gets a lot of the cool lines, yeah, so he's Villa still cool. Yeah, Villa gets the cool lines. Jenna. Jenna was interesting, at least in this, because we got a little bit more of her backstory. Yeah. And then there's Callie. Who, in theory, is interesting because she's an alien. She's, or she's non-human. She's mm-hmm. telepathic. But they, you know, they don't really use that in an interesting way. They don't anything with Callie. I mean, I was glad they brought it back in this story and they didn't just immediately drop it. I mean, it yeah, felt like they sen- had just it's, dropped it's, it's, it. It's Blake Seven's sense rights moments. It's probably not going to come back very much. <laughs> Joy. <laughs> and like we mentioned before, there's a weird race dynamic later on, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, I don't feel like we did justice to any of that. You know, I don't know. This, this episode, I guess, is controversial for a lot of reasons. You know, whether or not we did them justice, I don't think... I don't think we did, and I don't think... It necessarily uh, matters, really. I, don't, I think it matters. I just don't think we're equipped to even take it on. 
uh, in any way that's actually going to do the entire situation any sort of justice at all. Yeah, I don't think either of us so, are well-versed in global politics, I guess, global politics of the present or global po- politics of the past. So we just kind of moved on, and we're probably just going to move on right now. So we got another email this week. You can probably guess that it's from the illustrious Sergeant Drano. Right. Thanks again, Sergeant Drano. Thanks again for somehow finding time, and you're probably busy and much better life to email this podcast. Being a sergeant. (laughs) To to email this (laughs) new and not so great podcast. Just some self deprecating humor for you there. Anyway, let's uh, get right into it as usual. Take it away, Zen. Hey guys. Just watched Bounty. Been a while since I seen that one. Quite a lot of plot. Loved President Zarkov's pimp outfit in Bessie Carr. Blake is kind of a dick in this one, basically kidnaps Zarkov after breaking his toys. And apparently Federation troopers gotta raise their visors in order to talk on the radio? That's a little inconvenient. Love all the cool different alert colors they have. I think my favorite was blue mobilization. I guess blue is even more alert than red? I wonder if the alerts are status updates on Subcommander Janney's balls? How come Blake commandos in a standard Liberator hoodie, but Callie has to sneak around in a leopard fur jacket? That doesn't seem fair. Although which one of them is it unfair to? You decide. In an episode called Bounty, who or what in the episode is the quicker picker-upper? If you give up, the answer is written backwards and upside down on the other side of this email. You'll have to print a hard copy in order to flip it over. Great episode. 7 out of 7. All the best. Sergeant Dreino. Station 7, the door. Okay, so you may have noticed decidedly that our text-to-speech still does not sound like Zen, because I haven't found I haven't found a good imitation of Zen, and I'm not going to attempt one myself. You should anyway. get Peter, um, what's it, Tuddenham, or whatever his name is. Is he still alive? Because when I, in, I don't know. In the aud- know. It, he doesn't not. do the voice of Zen in the audio. No, he's probably not alive. But you know, they that's get a guy named us. Alistair Locke to do the voice of Zen in the audios. Anyway, that's besides the point. A lot of plot, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think I agree. I think I really liked Bounty. Uh, Federation helmets are not designed for ease of use. They're just designed to look menacing and cool, apparently. <laughs> like everything on this show, I think nothing is really designed to be easy to use, from what <laughs> I can tell. The the different kinds of alert colors actually reminds me of... Star Wars. Star Trek, actually, oh, I was okay. going to say. They have a lot of different alert statuses on Star Trek, and surprisingly, they all have different meanings. Uh, red alert is like combat. You know, you're in combat. Yellow alert is like prepare for combat, get to your stations. <laughs> Blue alert is like uh, you're in a low energy state and you got to conserve power. I think black alert is only on Star Trek Discovery. I think they go to black alert when they activate the spore drive. I think. I might have confused black and blue alert, but I don't think so. Pretty sure on this one. Anyway, if blue alert on this is anything like Star Trek, it just means that they've got no power. I don't think it refers to Subcommander Jamie's balls. <laughs> Somehow I don't think that's the case. But, you know, maybe, maybe. We don't know for sure. Don't have personal experience with that. Anyway, 
How come Blake Commando's in a standard Liberator hoodie? Well, I think that's just unfair. I think they should be allowed to go down to the planet and whatever the hell they want. But Yeah, what is this? Why are there uniforms for Blake's crew? You know, what kind of ship is he running? I was going to say, why are the uniforms for a crew on a spaceship that they stole, which logically shouldn't have uniform uniforms for all of them? And also, they're all criminals from different walks of life. This is barely even a coherent crew. Why do they have any sort of uniform? Although then again, Jenna seems to wear the same like black and white shirt every week now. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the uniform is just to tell them apart in case they get amnesia. <laughs> in case you can't tell Villa and Jenna apart. You know? <laughs> just, oh no, which one of them <laughs> is Villa? Just in case you couldn't tell Callie and Gan apart. Okay, you might not be able to tell like Blake and Avon apart from a distance. But when oh, I was going to say Blake and Gan because I think they have similar hairstyles. Yeah, maybe. You know, Blake and Avon, I feel like you could tell them apart from Gan their hair. Gan is like twice the size of anyone else though. <laughs> That's true. And Villa's like half their size, so... <clears throat> which, anyway. Which still begs the question, how much does Michael Keating weigh? We don't know. Yeah. We still don't know. We don't know. Yet. <laughs> uh, and your final question, well... I, you know, I wasn't I'm, really I'm down. Gonna, I'll just admit, I don't understand what you mean by that last little paragraph there. I just <laughs> don't understand that. Yeah, and I wasn't really down to print out a copy of the email, largely because uh, our printer is in, qu- in a questionable state right now. So <laughs> I wasn't willing to try it on on an email. Although uh, I I will tell you, I did give the I did entertain the thought. Uh, you know, I didn't just immediately dismiss it. I did entertain it briefly, and then I dismissed it afterwards. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, thank you for emailing. Glad to see that you really enjoyed the episode. Yeah. I really enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. One uh, of the weaker ones, in my opinion. But, you know, Always good to hear from you. Always good to hear from someone who's not us. I think it's good <laughs> to have an opinion on the show that's not one of our two. And also, we really appreciate that people actually care about Zenith enough to email us and send us some thoughts on the episodes for the week. So. So take a page out of Sergeant Drano's book and, <laughs> and email, email us. us at the doctor at decadavegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry rants, love letters, your thoughts on Callie's complete lack of character. <laughs> you can find us <laughs> on YouTube at Decorative Vegetable. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zenith a Blake 7 podcast. Be sure to leave a rating if you like the show. Shout out to that one guy who I saw left a review on iTunes. Yeah. Thank, thank you very much. Five star review. We did read it. Thank you very much. Check us on Facebook, trust your doctor. Like us on Facebook. Also check us out on Twitter at TYD Podcast and follow us on Twitter. And next time we're watching Deliverance. But until then, the end.